that's why African-American and Jewish-American communities used to be close because they shared a lot of that history. Um, because, yeah, you, you're just, you're always different, even if you don't think so. Like, some, that's what I like to keep saying. Someone will remind you. Wow. When you forget, someone will remind you. But in America, that's what I was looking forward to the diversity because I look different back there. You know, my nose is a little different. I had red hair. I wasn't blonde. I wasn't blue eyed. I wasn't Slavic. So I was looking forward to the diversity here. I was so excited when I went to school and everyone looked different, like different colors, different hair. Like that was my American dream. Like wow. I wanted to be with different ethnicities. My first friend, and I talk about it in, in the book, uh, was black. Uh, she was from France. She did not speak English. Just like me, we were in this ESL class. We did not have a language in common, but we were friends. And it was amazing. Like she would tell everyone we were sisters. We would eat lunch together. That was like the few weeks because they kept changing my class. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. I've been doing this research lately and, and wondering, because I'm a first-generation immigrant woman, right? And I considered myself to be high achieving, like, you know, just very driven to, you know, kind of get things accomplished. So I'm wondering, you know, what was that like for you? You came before your sister. Mm -hmm. Your sister came next. What was that like for you being that first generation and knowing that your parents cannot necessarily pursue their educational aspiration? And so, you, like you said, that was decided for you to be a lawyer. I get that. Like, what was that like for you? You know, like not necessarily wanting, getting that opportunity to follow whatever Maslow call it, self-actualization of whatever that passion of whatever that, I guess it's a luxury to feel like you're doing something that you're really aligned with yeah. from your heart. Right. And so, so what was that like for you? I wonder. I think at first I thought it was flattering. Um, and you know, when you're a kid and you're entrusted to do all the things that usually adults do, like I had to start translating for my mom at the age of 12, I would, whenever we would move, I would be the one calling the companies to change over the address. So, you know, things that the adults would usually do, I got to do really young and that was flattering for a while. Like, that's really cool. Look at me. I'm so mature. Eventually, I think, I think some resentment was probably building because I got tired kind of early. Like, cause, you know, like I started doing everything a little earlier. You were like 12, 13, right? Yeah, it was 11, 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it got it. You felt like the pressure on you, even very rarely it would be spoken of. It would usually be unspoken. And whenever I would make the right decisions, I would be super rewarded for that. So I was kind of you know, conditioned to, to follow a certain path. And, you know, they wanted the best for me. It was all from good intentions. 
but I think there was a level of resentment for for a while. I think like for a while I kind of stalled and I couldn't do anything really with my life. It was a weird, like after law school, I kind of felt like I gave it all, I passed the bar in the first try, and now I want to do what I want to do, and I didn't know what that was. So I kind of stalled. And that was like, it was kind of like arrested development for a while. Like I did not know where to pick up and what to do. And it took me a while to find myself again. Mm-hmm. And when I did, and when I got my own kids, the resentment kind of started melting away because I understood and I, you know, now as a parent that some of those things are unconscious. Like, you know, my kid wants to do something for a talent show where I don't think she's really great at that thing. I think you're really good at this other thing, but she's like, I don't want to do that. And I have to stop myself from being maybe back off. Maybe it's her thing. <laughs> like let her do what she wants to do. Um, so I started gaining a little more perspective. That's why I think writing this also helped a lot with that. But for a long time, there really was a bit of resentment and stagnation. It was almost kind of like subconscious rebellions. Like, well, here, I did it. <laughs> what next? That's right. And I, I totally relate with that. Things that are expected of you, as a, especially as a first-generation child. I think there might be a little bit more leniency on children of that first generation, right? And I get that resentment. You feel the pressure, definitely. You can't mess up, right? And so I like to talk to other women to see, like, how did they, did you ever get to burnout? And it's not like you don't love your parents. You you mm-hmm. understand it and you get you get the drive because you also want to achieve greatness as well as they want for you but sometimes my gosh the presser is like you can't go you can't just go to a party and just have fun and mess up you just the expect you just have to be so grown I mean and that's the part of it for me where I felt like I was never allowed to be a kid yes the growing up is definitely accelerated their expectations of you at a much younger age and you have to make smarter decisions and you have to be serious. Like I always love to sing. And that's like the one thing I always love to do. And I did it back in Belarus. I was in a children's choir and I really wanted to do it here. Um, and I had a really terrible bullying experience in a shop class here in a photography class. And they took mm-hmm. me out of it because of that experience. Uh, and then they, I, I did have some choice of what shop class to take. And I really wanted to go into chorus. And my dad really didn't want me to because that's a hobby. What you should do is computers because computers are practical. I'm like, but I love to sing. It's like, totally, you're an awesome singer, terrific. You can sing all you want after you do all of these serious things. So my mom had to sign the permission slip without my dad knowing. <laughs> and she let me go into, into chorus. But yeah, it was like, no, you have to be serious. Like, this is a hobby, but, but, but I'm 12. I need a hobby. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I get that, like, I get that now as a grown up, but it's hard. It's hard because I understand, you know, especially like my dad, he invested so much with me. He worked right alongside with me. Um, and then, you know, and you start, you know, the blinds get blurred and then I should be allowed to help you make decisions. 
And to a degree, you know, all parents are allowed to do that. But then lines get really blurred and then you kind of forget that you're a separate person. Oh, that's another conversation. Oh my goodness. Learning, growing up in like a collectivist setting. And even though you move to this culture that's very individualistic at home, that collectivism continues. The expectation is such, and you don't want to disappoint your family. You don't want to do anything to make anything look bad on your family. Same, same, same here. And so it, I'm still walking it out, like trying to figure out like, who is Simone? Like, mm -hmm. outside and separate from the group like cool yeah yeah and that's lifelong work wow so how how do you balance and you mentioned that your sister stayed back two years did you all have other family in different parts of the world and how you know you're now a lawyer how do you balance like the cultural expectation to be altruistic to your community right? Because now you're successful in the family, you're a lawyer, you're expected to give back to support, perhaps maybe somebody else who's coming up, going off to college to pay their college fees or whatever the expectation in the Jewish community is. I'm not fully in the, in, in the mm -hmm. thick of that, but what, how do you balance that ex cultural expectation with the fact that, you know, you need to take care of Marina and yeah. invest in her and balance maybe setting boundaries, perhaps? How do you do that? Well, I was predominantly the family and friend translator for anybody and everybody ever since I was a tween. And I would be signed up to go to medical offices or government appointments, uh, fill out paperwork. And that, to a degree, continues still today. Like if anybody has a question or they have applications to fill out, especially if it's anything remotely legal, uh, then yes, you are expected to be the go-to and you're not really allowed to be like, oh, but not today. Um, you kind of expect it to, to do that. Um, and it's hard and, and I've had to, I've had to start slowly building boundaries and I feel like now there's probably a bit of potentially reverse resentment, like. Um, with my mom, yes. she definitely like is starting to feel like, why aren't you doing all these things? But that's because I'm trying to build something for myself and I have my own kids and I have other things to do besides the XYZ that's expected of me. Uh, and that's not always understood or accepted. Um, and you kind of just try to make the best of it. It's, it's an ebb and flow. <laughs> Yes, it is. And the thing that I have learned when it comes to boundaries, I used to try to do it all. I used to try to respond to all of the ask, whatever it may be, right? And not mess up and just be this perfect kid. And then, yeah, the resentment will build and you realize, oh, Simone, you're harboring some stuff in your heart that you might, you're not acknowledging because you know, you see the need and you understand the expectation. But in order for you to become fully a thriving, you know, who Simone or who Marina needs to be, you need to make space for that. Yeah, because exactly. I tell you, here's how, here's how I realized I would want to focus on taking weight off because I was 
working so many hours, coming home late, not even being able to cook at home. And then coming home and rushing to do so many other things and sometimes outside of my homes or feel the obligations to other people that I was carrying a lot of mental load about this person is in need and what I need to do to support them. And it was exhausting me. And I I realized that, Simone, if you don't make space for you to really focus on cooking at home so that you can choose healthier so that you are not overeating because you're not sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, you're like you're not going to be of use to anybody anyway. In order for me yeah. to be healthy, I have to make space for that. So I know, and it's such a journey. Only I think first generation and probably second generation or first generation Americans who are children of first generation immigrants will probably be able to because we're so steeped in you know the other world, the collectivist world, and now we're in this individualistic world, trying to make sense or make room for us and ourselves. Yeah. It's quite a challenge. I tell yeah and shedding that expectation that like actually trying to make that separation of you don't have to fulfill that because it it feels like a slight if you don't so it's mentally it's it's very hard right and like you can see so clearly because you were in this country for younger and some of the things that the group upholds are some of the expectations that they uphold sometimes are really not that important yeah. or it's just to keep face with this family or that neighbor oh, God, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like where, where did this start <laughs> like yeah. I, I'm inheriting something that I have no idea like how far back this goes yeah yeah definitely I I think it was probably worse when we still lived in Brooklyn um, because most of the family is there. I think some distance, even though it's only over the bridge, um, kind of helped with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of like that intrusion um, back in the day. And when we came here, um, so all of my dad's family was here. Um, my mom's family is kind of split between uh, Russia and Israel. She only has like one family member here uh, and she's like in the Midwest. Uh, but there was a lot of intrusion, like from day one. And also they're not necessarily ill-intentioned, but there is such dominance that comes with it. Like this is the only brand you can buy. I was told repeatedly that I could not go to public school because you're going to be on drugs and pregnant within a month. You can't go to an inner city school. You got to go to a yeshiva, uh, which is a Jewish school. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do in a yeshiva? Like, I've never seen a Torah. Like, I'm just oh, Jewish on paper. You are not allowed to practice in Russia. Yeah. I was like, I'm only a Jew on paper. Like, I don't know what that would even mean. Uh, but there would be so much like you can't wear this you have to wear that and it's a lot of like that like I've been through this so I'm gonna exercise my control over you to kind of work some of that out like the way we would spend our money like my father's relatives would tell us we can't take the bus to go somewhere because that's wasteful you can just walk uh, and then you would feel guilty spending, I think it was, I think it was 50 or 75 cents back then. Um, because now I'm wasting money. Um, but there would be so much intrusion and that took a while to shake off. 
um, probably a few years. And it definitely slow. It tapered out slowly, but I but I think moving out of New York eight years ago, I think physical distance helped a little bit. <laughs> Wow. Yes. No, I get that. I, I, I so get that. And I think in our community, what I like to call them are elders. So anybody who's older than you seems to come with a perceived respect that is like mandated, even if, even if they're being abusive, right? I really want to write a book about the abuse of, that really takes place in like collectivist cultures. And you still have to respect these people because they are, they're elders and, you know, these are the expectations of the group and you can't speak up. And yes, there, there need, there's a book out there that needs to be written with like comparing individual in the individualistic culture with the collectivist one and the healthy and unhealthy things that we doing both Yeah, you know that's, that's... that is a great idea. Definitely do it. <laughs> I mean I literally have been contemplating because I'm walking these things out about who Yeah. I allow to put you know family expectations family pressure criticized because I've made a decision that they didn't think I should make Mm or -hmm. why is she doing this or you know and all the gossip that goes along with that and you trying to be like oh please like just shut it up like stop Oh, dude, all I wanted to do was be a middle and high school history teacher. And oh my God, the many people that would try to talk me out of it and eventually did successfully. <laughs> and, and it's something I regret to this day because like that's the age group I really wanted to work with and history has always been a passion. I'm like, that would be like really good for me. Uh, but oh my God, the, the aunts, the uncles, oh... you wouldn't get enough money and you would be so disrespected and they can send you wherever they want. You have no say in where you're going to be placed. And I'm pretty sure that's false, <laughs> but the people would just feed you this, these things. And, and then they would kind of like gaslight you in a way. And they would also use flattery of like, but you're so smart. You're so smart. You can totally be a lawyer. You should totally be a lawyer. You're definitely meant to be a lawyer. And eventually you're like, mm, maybe they're right. <laughs> Right. But then and part then like of I it went to is. law school and I happened to be good at, at, at law school and I graduated high and I passed the bar, but I'm like, but my heart is not in it. And I also like, I suffer from high anxiety. So like that high responsibility type of job, it would drive me insane. Like I can't, I, I can't. <laughs> Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I, I'm totally, I totally get first generation children. Like I get it. Cause that's been my walk. And it's just 2023 that I have declared I'm coming home to myself. Yeah. I had to because I was so emotionally like just constantly with this codependency. Like my mother died and I'm sitting here thinking about one, two, three, how many other people who are in need that I need to send money to and support, but I'm aching and I need to mourn Yeah, my you need mom. support. And and they they don't care. They just want to know when you're sending it and how much you're sending. And I'm just like, this is madness. And um, I'm just now 2023. 20, after all 23 years, it's taken me to get to myself. Yeah. But 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 in any case, I I so get that, and I it, it's your your experience is interesting because you're coming from an environment, a country where you weren't really allowed to really be your authentic self, Yeah. Yeah, to begin not. with. Yeah. Mm hmm Right. So I wonder how 
how did you navigate now the whole thing about you're Jewish, but you're now Russian and and all of that? How did you navigate that authentically? There is like such a huge disconnect. So you couldn't talk about God or anything. I remember asking my mom if she believes in God while we were waiting for the elevator in my building back in Belarus. And she'd go, shh, do, do not ever do ask me that in public. Like she would literally like, she was looking around, like who's looking through their peephole? Cause you'd be ratted out for anything. So you did, even though this was toward the end of the Soviet year for me and things weren't as tight as they were before, it was still a thing. People would rat you out and you had to live in fear of repercussions for saying or doing the wrong thing. And even as a kid, um, being the only Jew, like if something would be broken in the classroom, and even if the culprit would come forward, I would still be blamed somehow, that it was still me somehow. So you kind of learn to live with that. And that kind of informs a lot of your being, like to this day. And then you wind up projecting it onto your kids and you become paranoid over their school experiences and how they're being treated. Um, so you find like a lot of things um, triggering, um, but your identity is so weird. And it's something I try to explain to my children. Um, like one of my kids actually has a huge interest in Christianity, which is fine for me. But I'm trying to explain to her that these are two different things. Like you can be a Christian, but you can't really shake the Jewish heritage. Like you can choose a different religion, but you'll still trust me. You're still <laughs> a Jew, no matter what religion you practice. And for them growing up here, they don't get it. They're like, but what do you mean? Like, we don't celebrate Shabbat. We're not Jewish. I'm like, yeah, we are. <laughs> Like, if you forget, somebody will remind you. Like, and we're completely secular. Um, it was very hard for us because even though both of my grandpa both of my grandmas were raised in like religious households, this was right before, like they were born like right at the revolution when Soviet Union started. They lost all of that and they never imparted it onto their children and definitely not onto us. So a lot of people in the community they did come here and they wanted to find their Jewish religious roots and they became religious or at least observant. We didn't, we never really fell into that, but it was so strange to be called Russian. Like people would hear you speak Russian and they'd go, are you Russian? And then I would try to go into this like spiel of mine. It's like, well, we're Russian speakers, but not really, especially when the war in Ukraine started yes um there would be a lot of these questions and like there's such a complexity to that like our history is so complex with the region and you would try to explain it to somebody and they would listen to you and they, and they would still go oh you're still all russian to us <laughs> it's like oh great i'm so glad we had this conversation yeah, to me um, once you speak russian you're russian right i mean just yeah. because of the thought the native tongue isn't yeah. that one of the identifiers of yeah, a nationality but it's it was so beaten out of us generationally that because if you would forget who you were someone would remind you wow. <laughs> like never step out of place so when the war started and like um people would suddenly jews would suddenly say i'm ukrainian and it would be so weird because you are 
Jewish Ukrainian. <laughs> because now I think now they are done with that. Like I think all over it, probably Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, I don't know about other republics, well, countries. Um, they probably, I'm 99.9% .9 sure they're done with that. I think if you're born, no matter what's your heritage, I think you would be written as Ukrainian or Russian or whatever. But it's just so hard to shake because it's been so ingrained. Like my dad's from, from Ukraine. He went to Ukrainian speaking school. He was fluent in Ukrainian. But if you would have asked him during his life, what are you? He would say, I'm a Jew from <laughs> Ukraine. Wow. Um, so he, he passed, unfortunately, before the war started. But like these conversations started happening and people were trying to redefine who they were. But it's just so hard because there have been so many experiences and so many systemic things that it's just hard to shake. Like now, like to this day, I, I was born, we traveled a lot for my dad's job. So I was born in like very North Russia. Yes. Um, but then we moved to Belarus and that's where I came from. My mom's from Belarus. Like my mom never described herself as Belarusian. I don't describe myself as Russian to this day. Um, we're like a bunch of hyphens. Wow. it's 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 really it's amazing what like systemic abuse does to you 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 internalize it i'm listening to you and i'm thinking of the african-american experience here in the u.s and then for other people of color coming in and and for me another book that needs to be written is like what it means to learn racism for the first time yeah. Because I wasn't raised in an environment. I didn't even know that word. And all of a sudden, wow. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, what? My skin is brown. It's this tone. What does it mean here? I had, to, wow. I had to learn that, literally. Wow. And because and, I would yeah, operate. I that. Wow. For the first, like, 15 plus years, I just went along my business. If somebody was mean or nasty, immediately, I would think, that's just a nasty person. That's your problem. Yeah. And I would keep on my way. And then I started realizing that when I go to different workplaces, I'm like, I keep feeling the same thing. Mm -hmm. Something yeah. is off. And I started reading and asking people and I was like, oh, ish, huh? this is what systemic racism feels like. Yeah. I, and, and I, I kid you not, if you talk to um, some African-Americans there, they feel a way because they feel like we come in with a privilege as that because we don't we don't know what it's like mm -hmm. to be to have been born and raised in a system that with mm -hmm. racism from birth, because there's colorism, there's colorism everywhere you go, different skin tones and whatever that means. But to be like. The, the whole issue of racism, I literally, and now it's in my head. And as I'm listening to you, I'm just kind of like, so this is like, exactly. Yeah. After a while, you start like, you start becoming a part of the way you think and you expect think, people to treat you that way. I think historically, probably that's why African-American and Jewish-American communities used to be close because they shared a lot of that history. Um because yeah you you're just you're always different even if you don't think so like some that's what i like to keep saying someone will remind you wow. when you forget someone will remind you 
But in America, that's what I was looking forward to the diversity because I look different back there. You know, my nose is a little different. I had red hair. I wasn't blonde. I wasn't blue eyed. I wasn't Slavic. So I was looking forward to the diversity here. I was so excited when I went to school and everyone looked different, like different colors, different hair. Like that was my American dream. Like wow. I wanted to be with different ethnicities. My first friend, and I talk about it in, in the book, uh, was black. Uh, she was from France. She did not speak English. Just like me, we were in this ESL class. We did not have a language in common, but we were friends. And it was amazing. Like she would tell everyone we were sisters. We would eat lunch together. That was like the few weeks because they kept changing my class. Uh, the few weeks of that first year where I didn't cry in school because she was there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was awesome to me that we didn't even need to share a language. We could just hang together and be from such vastly different backgrounds. So to me, that was, that was my American dream. Like I wow. wanted to be with people who were different and it sucks that to this day, it's still frowned upon to look different, uh, to put it mildly, because to me, that's the beauty of America. Like to me, that's like in like, that's when people ask me what's American dream to me, there are a few things that my mind goes to. And that's one of them is the diversity. I, and I guess that's more specific of like large urban areas. Yeah, it's like New York, like New York. Yeah. Wow. I know we have a few questions on the list, but I'm, we've shared so much already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it's the first time that I'm actually hearing somebody really detail and walk me through the journey of what it's like to be in a country where you seemingly look like the majority but they yeah, find the tiniest of things okay. to make you different, like the shape yeah. of your nose and your hair color. Yeah, I was kidding? called a troll. I was a troll. I don't know why a troll. Even like back then, I was like that. I don't know why why a troll. <laughs> That's and so I wonder then when you came over and you're now amongst people who would be considered Russian Russian, mm -hmm. not Jewish Russian. Mm -hmm. Belarusian, Russian, or Ukraine. Do you deal with that, or do you feel like they have shed some of those? It still feels um, different. It still feels different. Mm -hmm. It's so deep that it still feels different. So sad. Yeah. And it's conditioning. It's mental conditioning because we're. I don't yeah. think we're like that by nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like I guess it's like generational trauma. What they call like. You always have like your guard up. Sucks. Sad and sad too. I mean, I, I see the beauty, but I also see some of the tensions that come out when you get so many people who coming are coming from different places around the world with different types of conditioning. And that comes to head, right? When you live in different communities and, and trying to make sense of it. And so it's really kind of been the impetus be behind me researching and trying to understand certain countries because of how I interact with certain people. And I'm like, yeah. I don't get the type of behavior, <laughs> you know? So, but I'm on a life 
journey here. To wrap this up, Marina, I wonder then the two last questions here are the three last one. I mean, it says success leaves clues. Anything in particular that you feel like you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your journey? And then what, you know, just to wrap it up, advice that you may have to anybody who's new or still trying to figure this out? Well, my dad used to have this expression whenever I didn't know what to do, what to choose. He would say, whatever you choose is going to be right. Um, And I kind of always go back to that because things have a way of making sense in retrospect. Um, Because just psychologically, I think it's just easier for us. So whatever choice we make, we find a way to make it fit. So as cheesy as it sounds, it's going to work out. <laughs> that would be my, uh, my advice. Right. I'd like to end with any humorous faux pas over the years in trying to learn the language or figure <laughs> the social setting, anything that comes to mind that you're like, you just laugh at yourself today. Oh my God. Yes. And this is something that's in my book too. So I had this terrible, traumatic bullying experience that that's that was the one scene where I was writing and editing and rewriting every time my watch would be like, are you exercising? Because my pulse would just go up. And it was like this terrible, awful thing. And then I had to go home and I I was taken to the office to to call my mom and the school uh, secretary asked what's wrong. And I said, I have angina. And she said, oh, my God, you have angina. And I'm like, why is this lady freaking out? And she like brought somebody else over and she asked me to repeat it. And I said, I have angina. Then my mom came with her friend who translated and they're talking about it. And until we realized that angina doesn't mean in English what I think it does in Russian. So strep throat or even like severe throat pain in Russian would be angina. So I just made the good to sound more English-like and I made it angina. And this poor lady thinks this kid is having severe cardiac issues. But I'm like, I'm holding my throat and I'm like, I have angina. And she's like, what is wrong with this kid? It's like, you need to go to a cardiologist. And I'm like, why? I just want to go home. My throat hurts. Oh, wow. But I, I still laugh at that. Like, I, I scared this sweet, sweet lady with my angina. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to say something related to the other closely sounding. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, like, uh. that probably would have scared her more. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, tell us, how do we find you? How do we find your book? How do people connect with you if they want to collaborate, have you on their podcast, or if you do coaching or whatever, how do people find you? Uh, that would be wonderful. So um, my website is www.marinaradun, M-A-R-I-N-A-R-A-Y-D-U-N.com. Um, I'm on Facebook a lot. I'm on Instagram a lot. Um, it's mradun um, underscore author. Um, that would be the best way to um, to communicate you can also drop me a note at mraden at gmail.com. Um, I always love hearing from readers. Um, you can get my book on Amazon. It's available in um, Kindle, paperback, and audio editions. And it's not my voice. It's, a, it's, a, it's an actress who narrated, and she did a beautiful, beautiful job. She gave it 
such amazing voice and I feel like she gave grace to characters I was afraid I was being a little rough on but she she read it in such a way that she she gave them another angle and it's just fantastic um let's see um yeah that would be the best way to contact me and um amazon is is where i am Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on YouTube? Uh, I am on YouTube, uh, actually, and my book trailer is there. I, you know what? I actually don't remember what I am on there. Okay, Uh, but you can send it just to me if then. you just yeah, if you could if you would just look up Marina Raiden, it will come up. Apparently, I'm Marina Raiden forty six oh five. I have no idea why that is. <laughs> uh, but it also has my book trailer on there, and it was uh, made uh, by by this. incredible videographer who went to all my stomping grounds of my first year like my first building my grandma's building my school my 99 cent store <laughs> um and it's it's really lovely it kind of sets the mood it's very 90s Very good, very good. Yeah, it's a lovely color <laughs> that you explained that it's your an actual picture of you when you were yeah when you just came over. So that's um, very, very touching. I really connected with your story and I thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Any parting words? Uh, just a thank you. And, um, and this is something I mention all the time. <clears throat> no matter where we're from, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. It's okay. As immigrants, I feel like there's so many common denominators and so many common experiences. And I just find that beautiful. Um, so that to me is empowering. That to me is America. To me, the way forward is um, more commingling. more <clears throat> cross-denominational, interracial friendships, neighbors. That's the only way we can ever truly learn from each other. Because I think a lot of prejudices come from fear and you fear what you don't know. So if we just keep being in our respective corners and never commingle, we never learn. So to To me, that's the only way I see forward is building more relationships. Right. Bridge people is what Yeah. somebody calls, you know, people who do that becoming bridge people, because once you're exposed and every time I meet somebody new, I'm thinking about like ways that I do things or things the way they do things that are like similar, like, oh, it's just a different name. But we have some of that in our culture. Yeah. You know, it's just so sick. It's so neat. I find that stuff fascinating because it truly, like, it's so cheesy, but we have way more in common than we think. And to me, that's the beauty. I don't know. Like, I get such a kick out of it. Yes, 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 yeah. I'm trying to bring us together somehow so we Yeah. can talk to Thank each you for other. doing this. This is amazing. Thank you so much. This is You're a welcome. wonderful platform. Thank you, thank you. I'm having a blast and I'm growing and finding myself as I listen to you all's story, yes? So, but I wish you the very best. Uh, much success with the book. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. 
You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence. 